Hello, and welcome to Sacred Herbalism, the full moon segment of the Elder Tree podcast, where we explore how plants and fungi can support us to enter into a sacred relationship with life and the living world. I'm your host, Stephanie Hazel, herbalist, anthropologist, and a deep lover of this wild world. Let's walk into the moonlit forest together, into a world of magic, mysticism, psychedelic teachers, and, of course, the plants themselves. Are you ready? Tatiana Dawn, also known as Twiggy, is the owner and manager of Alcamilla Herbals, a small herbal medicine business and education platform, and she's also the founder of the Elder Tree Project, of which this podcast is a part. She has an amazing ability to dream and vision boldly and bravely and call other people in to participate in the creation of something truly wonderful. I really enjoy her amazing skill at bringing many people together, creating community and being able to support people around her to offer their deeper skills and gifts into a collective vision. Tatiana is a mother, a herbalist, a teacher, a permaculturalist and trained in a variety of traditional medicine and ceremonial skills. She's really passionate about growing, harvesting and making medicines and loves sharing this with people in the community and also practicing herbalists and naturopaths through her variety of immersive workshop offerings on her land. She has a real conviction that plant medicine belongs to the people and is for the people. And this drives her particular interest in teaching self-reliance in herbal medicine and introducing people to the plants that grow in their local area, both wild and naturalized. Throughout this interview, you can hear the special relationship she has with plants as living beings, um, a relationship of respect, reverence and deep honoring. Interwoven with this referential relationship is her dedication to ceremonial plant work. It's a really important aspect of her life and she works closely with traditional medicine keepers from different lineages. We talk a bit in this interview about both of our experiences of sacred plant medicines, the psychoactive and theogenic plants that many cultures have drawn on to deepen their relationship with the sacred world. It's actually the first time this has emerged as a topic on this segment uh, and it's really lovely to talk about our experiences and reflect on how these have opened the doorway for us to be in an intimate relationship of sacred awareness with plants. Good afternoon, Twiggy. So lovely to have you here on um, the other side of the microphone as the founder and uh, of the Elder Tree Project and this wonderful podcast and the presenter of the um, education segment. I feel really excited to hear your thoughts on sacred herbalism. Hi, Steph. Yeah, thank you for having me here today. Feels like a, a great honour and um, I've listened to all of your episodes so far and, and I've loved them all. So, uh, yeah, this is a topic that's quite um, near and dear to my heart and, um, yeah, I'm excited to get to talk with you here in this space. So thanks for having me. Great. My pleasure. Um, yeah, so I guess just to start right in the depth of it, I'd love to know what sacred herbalism means to you. Hmm. So, yeah, it is such a such a um, a word and a topic that is so personal. What what you what you might mean when you say that word compared to what I might mean when I say that word could be two very different things. Um, yeah, and I do think about this a lot. Um, and I thought about it a lot this morning in preparation for our interview. And so, yeah, I've heard, I was thinking this morning, I've heard a lot of people say that everything is sacred. And in a way, uh, I, I, I agree with that. Everything has the potential to be uh, sacred or perceived as sacred. And uh, once we can connect with that perception, then we can eventually have an embodied experience of the sacred. Um, but this is quite difficult when we're living in a Western mindset in a quite materialistic, mm. um, you know, 3D world. So, yeah, so for me, sacredness is a combination of connection and reverence. 
Um, and so when I'm feeling a sacred connection to something, it, um, it's so much deeper than everyday connections that I feel in the materialistic world that I inhabit a lot of the time. And so when I go even deeper into what sacred means for me, it's, um, it's beyond just my connection and, and reverence for a particular thing or experience. It's like true connection to the sacred is when I, when I'm perceiving and connecting to the, the interconnected life force that's in everything, mm. like everything, like myself, you, this tree, this pen, this cup, like everything. When I'm really, really feeling one, I suppose, like, you know, interconnected, feeling unified mm. with everything. To me, that's like the, the ultimate true, like sacred space um, and, and in, and in communion mm. with everything and, and, and in reverence with, with everything that's, that's for me, I suppose, what, what sacred sacred is. Mm, beautifully articulated. Thanks, Twiggy. What I'm hearing there is almost like the sacred relationship can be had when something that we are connecting with helps us to merge through that one being and into the whole system of life that yeah. it's part of and we're all part of. And that's when that we all become sacred. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like my connection with motherwort. I was out this morning and just, you know, stroking her because like the motherwort plant, I think you probably know this. She's like my best friend in any kingdom. And, um, and I was just like stroking, stroking her flowers. And I always get a little bit of like emotional <laughs> when I'm with the motherwort and, and feel this real sense of kinship. But then I was, um, just reflecting on this morning about how, um, my, my connection with that plant and when I'm feeling really connected, it's when there, she, when I'm seeing the interplay of everything, I'm seeing the wind ruffling in her, in her um, leaves and I'm seeing all the, the bees and the bugs and everything crawling over and flying around and I'm really seeing her being connected and then feeling like I'm a part of that as well. Like, um, yeah, just that interconnectedness. So it would probably be quite different mm. if it was just um, a motherwort plant sitting in a room alone with me. It would be very different to just that feeling of like mm. everything in nature and being that interplay of all the other life forces that are in and around her and me as well. Mm. Yeah, again, a really beautiful image of that um, ecological interconnectedness that can be spiritual in its intensity of you know mm. how much it moves our hearts yeah almost like that plant is a gateway the plant and the way it is standing in sacred relationship with all of life is like totally. a gateway for you to feel into and remember your own sacred relationship to all of life yeah I love that yeah like a gateway I really like that I know that like a lot of people um perceive like the sacred as something that's superior or something that's above or like a, a deity or a, a consciousness, like a higher consciousness or a, a state of being or a thing that's like superior to, to where, to where we are. And, um, as you know, small, petty, humble humans, but that's not really kind of how I feel it and perceive it. It's, um, more just there feeling that like equality interconnectedness. So I like what you say about that, that gateway, um, because it's not it's not like a, a ladder to climb up to to reach mm. the highest state to bow at the feet of the 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 almighty deity whoever that is it's um you know it's this the real like the life force that's right there if you can just kind of step to that gateway and step through it or you know utilize the tools to do that so yeah thanks for that word mm. that's a nice piece in it yeah no worries. Yeah, that you, what you described really brought that to me. You know, almost like Aldous Huxley has that famous, you know, the doors of perception. Yeah, I think yeah. he's using mescaline in that book. He talks about um, like one of the classic kind of early psychedelic um, writings around mm. him taking mescaline and that his experience was in express in that way of like opening the doors of perception so nothing changed you didn't go anywhere different but just mm. there was some veil that was removed in that moment that allowed him to see in a different way and when we see in that way there's a we can see the like shimmering aliveness of mm. all things and that there is almost this like web of life force as you said that interconnects all things mm -hmm. 
It's all mm-hmm. just they're waiting for you to see it. Just our kind of modern kind yeah. of conditioning doesn't doesn't help us to be connected and see those things and feel those things in our daily life. Mm. I don't know if you follow much of you know the systems theories or something that's really coming quite um, big into the intellectual and even business and ecological and kind of uh, academic world in the last ten years or so, um, and. I was doing some work with a professor of systems thinking from University of New South Wales a few years ago and he was saying, you know, that actually the main shift in systems thinking, which is based on, um, it comes from ecologists, from ecologists sitting with natural environments and seeing that everything exists as part of a living system and that the shift is instead of looking at the things in a, in, in the environment, you need to look at the relationships between the things and mm. that they're actually more important. Mm-hmm. And um, I've mentioned Tyson Younger Porter before, and he talks about he talks about some of this in Sand Talk as an I indigenous thinker and leader. Mm-hmm. It's so, such an amazing book. It's such a gift that he's actually given us to language some of those things in ways we can wrap our heads around. And again, there's that relational prioritization of like how things are working with each other and in relationship with each other, rather than in in our very individualistic kind of perception of the world, we're very focused on the things. The, the individual people, the individual plants and what they are and what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Indigenous peoples would say, like, well, they mean nothing outside of healthy relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everything you just said just so matches up with um, just how, yeah, how I believe it. And, yeah, it's such the, the modern mindset of um, putting everything in boxes, giving them labels and separating them, you know, just kind of, <clears throat> you know, you're Steph over there and I'm Twiggy over here and um, mm. you're you and I'm me and things are all kind of like separated and, yeah, put into neat little boxes with labels on it and, yeah, it doesn't really allow for the whole interplay of everything, of, of all of the that space in between us and the, the feelings and the thoughts and the everything that there was so much more than just you or I we're like you know our unified force together and yeah so (laughs) I said I wasn't going to waffle too much but (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is something that I just love to talk about spend spend hours under the stars and and reflect on I think the unified force is interesting yeah like what, what does that mean I think another way I could get my head around that is almost like when we are in relationship and in interaction as we are right now, something can emerge and the things that emerge are meaningful in a way that me as an individual and my own needs and desires are maybe not as meaningful beyond my own experience. And so in this interaction and relationship we're having right now, there is something emerging, which is this conversation about sacredness. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting, you know, and what emerges from relationship is yeah, when we can hold that, I think we're closer to, the, to that sense of sacred and aliveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I just, um, I'm actually, I started writing an article this morning for a magazine that's all about that, about being in right relations to things and not seeing, um, you know, in being in right relations to plants in particular, but um, just being in right relation to everything around you and, and really honouring the relationship between yourself and everything everything including you know so many of us wouldn't be thinking to honor the relationship with this pen in my hand or you know to our computer or something like that but they're all they're all you know things that are that are beyond just objects like everything has a frequency and so when we can be in right relations with things then we're not going to be disconnected and um you know and cut off and and alone and isolated in our own little the shell of our body Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that is such a big issue that we're facing in the modern world is isolation and disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I know that there's been some, you know, a big a big focus on that after the couple of years of the pandemic and how much of the world, including me in Melbourne, got, you know, trapped in my little house box and isolated from many other people and the, the impact of that we're still processing in places mm. like Melbourne. Uh, and also, you know, not that long ago, there's been a lot of research in public health in the States, mainly around the impact of loneliness and isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think I've shared this before, actually, in a different episode, but there's been um, a study that's come out that said that being uh, isolated socially is as detrimental to your lifespan, like will reduce the length of your life as much as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. <clears throat> wow which is just shocking, right? Not the quality of your life, actually just how long you live. Like yeah, that yeah. has 
such an impact on the physiology of our body that you will die 10 years earlier, you know. And that really, that statistic really helped me to see how important it is to address our sense of isolation and loneliness. And I think mm. probably what I feel that you're leaning towards there is the sense that being in relationship with plants can be really helpful to break down that sense of loneliness and isolation it's not just human beings that we can be in connection with yeah definitely and even beyond plants you know but um but definitely for the sake of this can focus on that I you know I, I had a, a childhood I had a very difficult childhood and I <clears throat> I um I have all of these really standout memories from from my childhood and pretty much all of them are out, outside in nature by myself, you know, up in trees and down creeks and um, just being in, you know, overgrown fields and things like that. And like I grew up in a world that I couldn't really connect with, with people I couldn't really connect with. I felt quite um, uh, like I didn't really understand the people around me. I didn't really understand the the dynamics and the just I just pe- people really confused me and I'd go you know I'd go inside there was one I built lots of tree houses but there was just one particular one tree house that I'd carved out the whole kind of inside section of this tree and I could go in there and and I could and I could see nothing on the outside of the tree and no one could see me in there and then when I'd be in that space I just felt like I was just one with the tree and like the, you know, me and the tree were just this one being and, and in that place, like everything made sense. You know, it was like that sense of, um, I didn't even need to try to understand anything or try to be connected to anything. There was no such thing as isolation. It was just like me and the tree, just one and having the same thing going along the river's edge and just having like the smell of lantana, like being intoxicating like so intoxicating like the smell getting so intense that it like it was like the smell and this is such a strange thing to try to articulate but it was like the smell was aware of me it's like the smell and I had like a conscious interplay and and it really um I was having some pretty deep processes as a young child just with smells particularly you know lantana growing along this creek and just pine and different smells that um, would seem to even just have a life force of their own that I would be having an interconnection with that made more sense to me than, um, you know, than with uh, with humans and with the, you know, going into a shop or going into all of these environments that I was in that just made no sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be in nature, just me and nature, and then there's no, yeah, felt like there was no separation, like we were just kind of one, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. How old were you in these at this time? Uh, well, that's for, that's pretty much my childhood, (laughs) like the lantana in the creek, Mm. that, that whole, that, and, and that particular tree that I'd carved out the center of, like that was, I was probably around age of five to six, but it was right up, um, well into my teenage years that I continued to have that, just finding my place in trees and on riverbeds and um, just finding that connectedness and um, sense of place and sense of, um, but more than sense of place. Um, and, you know, Jimmy Willumban actually articulated something around this really well in your interview with him, just around that sense of like the other, like the sense of that I wasn't alone and that mm-hmm. everything around me was like aware of me. And I was aware of it being aware of me. And, um, and then, and so then in that place, I couldn't possibly feel alone, even though people would say, oh, she was just alone down there. It's like, no, I wasn't alone. I had all of the water and the trees and the, you know, all of that right there with me. So yeah, the whole concept of being alone and being disconnected, you don't need to just be around other people to, to have connection and to, and to feel like really deeply bonded, um, with something as well. Beautiful. Thank you. That's um, a really moving image of a, a small child being cared for by the natural environment, the plants and the land that you're on and just how mm. intimate that can be, that experience. You know, it sounds really, it sounds really nurturing and intimate in a way that, yeah, I feel really joyful for that little girl <laughs> that she was having those experiences in spite of or alongside the other experiences she was having. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So I'd love to know um, in this exploration of the sacred with plants, at what point did you start to get interested in medicinal plants? And 
how did the sacred weave into your unfolding relationship with plants in a more specific way? Hmm. Well, I probably didn't really have any kind of um, language or awareness of a sacred as a a thing until my um until my late late t- teenage years. Like in this moment, I'm actually reminded of um I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Melodoma Patrice Somme. He's a like a Dagara uh, West African um, fellow that's written some amazing books. And there's this one book that he's written called Of Water and Spirit. It's one of my favorite books in the world. And um, at the very beginning, he says, he says, our our tribe has no word for magic. Uh, we have no word for supernatural because for us things that you, your culture would consider magic or supernatural are just daily occurrences for us and we don't have things that we don't believe in, like everything is possible and, and um, you know, miracles happen every day. We don't have a word for miracles. It's just something that just happened. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that kind of in a way yeah like the the sacredness as a like as a child and teenager I had no um no no way of kind of contextualizing my experiences no one else spoke to me about things like that it was just my own weird thing that I had (laughs) um that people around me didn't seem to experience so um yeah it wasn't until probably my like late my mid 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 to late teenage years that I started really realizing there was other people out there and I could actually start kind of developing start developing some of some of my this as a as a thing so <clears throat> you know I was growing growing herbs from when I was 15 when I moved out of home I was growing herbs and but I was just growing herbs and just growing vegetables it was pretty um you know, pretty straightforward. And then, but then I started having this like amazing feeling when I'd see like, you know, bottles of oil with like a sprig of rosemary in it and just be like, oh my gosh, well, I just love how that makes me feel. And started just collecting any books that I could. By the time I was um, like 18, I was just collecting any book that I could find about um, herbal medicine. Um, But always the thing that would get me is where it was like, you know, um, magic or, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was like in to pagan into uh like witchcraft but I was always romanticized by fairies and magic and and rituals and spells and um you know those kind of things they're the things that would pull me in as more than being more than more than treating myself with the herb and saying oh I'll grow a herb to treat my xyz it was more like oh I want to grow this herb to make spells and to just have mystery and magic and um so yeah by the time I was 18 I was finding a lot of um I was finding a lot of that, like being really intrigued by any, anywhere where plants were um, in the mystical realm and used in the mystical realm and worked with in, in that. So, and then alongside that also then finding entheogens, you know, through my, in my teenage years as well, just opening up my eyes to so much more. And um, yeah, so that, and then that really helped me then find other people that were kind of you could get what I was talking about when I would be talking about a connection I'd be having with a tree it wasn't suddenly this strange I wasn't just the one person that was having a connection with a tree Mm -hmm. I was able to find people to bounce off and and articulate and to further kind of understand my experiences so yeah that was kind of my entryway into to into herbalism was the mystery and the magic um and the mysticism and and also looking at old cultures and you know being yeah romanticized by um by that like working with plants as magic and yeah so I think that's my does that answer your question it was just like uncovering my first points of coming into like herbal medicine through this the sacred yeah yeah and I, I love actually that um that it was the magic and the sacred kind of the way that plants had this allure of magic and sacred is what invited you to move closer to herbal medicine mm. as a kind of physiological art. Actually, that's, that's actually really sweet. I really, I'm really enjoying hearing that story. And actually, now that you're saying that, I'm thinking a bit, uh, some vaguely parallel experience I've had maybe is I think if I'm really honest that my interest in herbal medicine started because I was such a fantasy novel reader and whenever <laughs> there were like healers, I just was, just like madly identify with them and just would love I was like wow you know being 12 or something and reading mm. I don't know some fantasy novel and the and the, the the use of plants as medicine and in and in magic 
in that totally imaginal, fantastical kind of world was so appealing to me. I wanted to be those like witch ladies, you know. Yep. Yeah, I can totally relate only, to that. Mm-hmm. And and then later on, when realizing that it actually was a thing that you could do, being a bit mind blown and being like, "Whoa, you know, mm. that's not just a fantasy novel." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And you mentioned that the use of entheogens can bring you into a community of people who could understand and relate to your sacred experiences with the natural world and with life Mm. itself. And I think that that's definitely an experience I've had as well. Um, I want to weave back to what you were saying at the beginning around the way that being in your garden with Mother Wart this morning was really tapping you in to, you know, it was opening that doorway for you to to feel that interconnectedness with all life, Mm. almost because, you know, the plant is, I find that plants are so um, present to their interconnectedness and they're so uh, alive in that sacred relationship all the time that they almost can be teachers there or doorways there. Um, Mm. So just bring us, wrapping us back to there, I think that um, many people have had the experience of entheogens being the, the plant that opens or the plants that open those doorways of a perception for them that then allow them to continue to uh, get better at opening that door in a non-psychedelic way. Mm. I'd love to hear a bit more about any experience you've had with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people um, where that um, having having an entheogen has completely catalyzed them opening their eyes to like so much more than just this quite limited perspective that we're given in our modern, you know, modern Western world, our kind of social conditioning that we have um, that tells us that, you know, well, there's gravity, so we can't fly and, you know, um, fairies don't exist and don't hug trees trees aren't like living conscious beings and you know this kind of modern world that um doesn't really like cultivate deep inquiry and deep relationship with things and and you know my experience um being younger and exploring those entheogens for the first time it was just further connecting me into um, what what I already was kind of working with but I watched people where it completely opened their eyes they're like oh my gosh I can see you know I've watched people sitting there saying like wow Mm. I can see I can see the life force from this tree coming in through my body and, and coming back from my body to this tree and watching people how how much of a life-changing experience that is that they can then take home, you know, that's kind of that doorway has been opened, you know, and they can then kind of integrate that back into their lives and go, wow, okay, that was sure I was in an altered state and some people might say that it's an it's a you know a hallucination or an illusion or something but I truly like experienced that just now so um yeah I've watched a lot of people where where a lot of um you know plants and um other entheogens have yeah changed their life and by opening up their doors of perception and yeah showing them the gateway their connectedness with everything around them including other people like being in You know, we used to put on parties in the bush through my teenage years and um, like just little fairy dens and just watching the amount of love that would come in that space when there was entheogens and people just being able to just open up and just be really like outside of just the handshaking world, be able to be truly like connected with one another and connected with themselves and Mm -hmm. then connected with the nature all around them. It's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And just to clarify for any listeners who haven't heard the term entheogen before, Mm. so entheogen is a word, entheos being God or divine and genesis being to create or to connect with. So then entheogen is a substance that connects us to the divine within. And it's a term that's used um, originally in anthropology, but then through psychedelia uh, to talk about psychoactive plants that create a spiritual-like experience. And so the ones that normally fall under that umbrella would be ayahuasca, DMT, um, psilocybin mushrooms, so not actually a plant, Um, all the mescaline-containing cactuses, peyote, and generally people are referring to plants or fungus that have a traditional sacred ritualistic use in traditional cultures. Um, you know, it's it's a fairly new term, so there's some, you know, 50-year-old well, term, there's some looseness and lack of clarity around what substances do count as entheogens. But, um, yeah, the definition is something that, when taken, opens a door of perception that helps us um, to connect that sense of the divine within. Mm-hmm. 
So Twiggy, you mentioned entheogens being um, a way that you found community and found um, a deeper experience of that sacred relationship to plants in the living world. I'm wondering if there's any in particular that have been uh, important to you in that journey that you could talk to us about. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, in those days uh, that I was describing before in finding the community, it was definitely... Uh, although mind opening and perception opening, it was still definitely a lot more um, just social curiosity uh, and um, exploration and things like that. So, but then in <clears throat> in my later years, I found um, you know I've been I've travelled to the Americas and I've had the opportunity to be to be exposed to uh, like sacred entheogens, um, you know, plants like ayahuasca. Uh, San Pedro and peyote and and plants like this and um, it's absolutely profound the effects that those plants have can have and uh, that I've witnessed have in myself and people around me as well Um, yeah I've watched people uh, do deep have deep trauma uh, deep trauma healing um, and also find um, incredible clarity and direction in their lives. I've watched people that are uh, having a lot of um, confusion or doubt or uncertainty or disconnection, you know, things like this, um, have have certain, you know, of these plants and then be just really, be really affirming and clarifying and help them to find their pathway in their life and to be able to live in, in good relations with themselves and the people around them. So, um, yeah, I regard those plants very highly as master teachers. And even though, uh, you know, I have a very deep connection with um, the simple, profound herbs like motherwort and stinging nettle and, you know, plants like that. Um, but those those entheogens can do a lot of the, the deeper the deeper work and particularly in, um, <clears throat> in, in, in helping to change perception or to or help us to as you were saying before about Aldous Huxley with the mescaline like can help to bring people more into the now not just taking people on a trip or taking them away Mm. Uh, it can help people to just really come into themselves and come into the present moment here and now Um, and that's definitely how those plants have helped me as well to kind of I suppose find Mm. myself and to find my center and to be more of who I am and to be more connected with things as they are instead of as I want them to be or as someone else told me they should be or, you know, all the different confusing confusing perceptions that we're kind of taught from our society. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, it strips things back to just like the sim- simple truths. And, um, yeah, so, the, yeah, I regard those plants very highly for the work that they do. And do you feel like um, out of the ones you've named, peyote, San Pedro, also known as Washuma in the traditional cultures, and so both mm. of these are mescaline-containing cacti, mm. and then ayahuasca being a combination of two or more, you know, mainly DMT and harmaline-containing plants, mm-hmm. they um, have come from different places. They have very different energies. The experience of being journeying with those plants is very different. And I'm curious if you feel that they've taught you different things or in different ways, or if overall that experience is still quite similar at the end of the day of the impact on your life and being oh yes very different very different I mean you know it's interesting a lot of people refer to those um the masculine containing cacti they refer to them as the in the in the masculine and they refer to the the ayahuasca in the feminine and um so they have very different teachings and very different ways that they work in the body and in the mind um and in the spirit or consciousness or however you want to however you want to call it so i find like um a plant like ayahuasca is amazing for kind of surgery surgery of the mind and the spirit and the body and helping to do deep deep work um into you know deep-seated trauma or um deep-seated uh destructive belief patterns or um you know just like the deeper work and can can yeah can access those places really deeply with that medicine um which can which has got to be done in the right way with the right um the right curanderas or curanderos you know the right space holders um for that to be done in a safe a safe way um, because you know you can unearth things that you don't really have the tools or the capacity to to deal with 
Um, and so that that's where it's quite exciting, the realm that we're going into now with um, psilocybin mm-hmm. and MDMA becoming decriminalised and there being more socially accepted, even though they're obviously very different to the ayahuasca, but um, they're being <clears throat> becoming a lot more um, social acceptance around working with certain entheogens in a held space with a facilitator to do um, to help to do um, psych- you know, psychological work at least. Mm. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, but then, yeah, yeah the, the energy of the, 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 the cacti, the, the, the huachuma and the peyote, well, I mean, those two, even though they both contain mescaline, they're, they're very different, um, from one another in how they work. Uh, mm. and I probably had a lot more experience with the, pe- the peyote and that being more, uh, a, a very heart opening, but also very, very clarifying, very like those, those things I was talking about before about seeing people really finding mm. purpose and direction and clarity and certainty about, um, about who they are. And, and also can that, that medicine can really bring people into the present moment, into the right here and now, whereas some, like a plant like the ayahuasca can take you into <clears throat> your childhood, can take you into regressive states, or it can take you into all kinds of different places um you know but then the 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 medicine like the peyote can bring you more into the present into just with with the elements with yourself mm. with the prayer that you hold in the, in those ceremonies when it's done traditionally there's there is a prayer there's a focus um it's not just you know taking it out of curiosity and having a good time it's like you're there for a purpose you're there for a prayer and an mm. intention so it helps you to stay connected with that prayer and that intention um and to actually really find ways to implement that into your into your life so yeah all of the you know it's the same as the 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 herbal medicine world like each plant has its own uh has its own medicine and its own way to be used in the right way to achieve certain results so yeah, different people can work with those plants differently as well. Yeah. It depends on who, how the space is held and what the ceremony is like. Yeah, I think that really, um, what you've said really calls with my experience as well, that I, um, yeah, I have. I think I have much less experience with peyote. I've had the the pleasure of sitting with a, you know, a roadman in a real ceremony once and that was really powerful, but, um, but and with the uh, washuma, the cactus, when the first time I journey that medicine actually I was on the Isla del Sol the island of the sun on Lake Titicaca which is on the border of Mm. Bolivia and Peru and it was very spontaneous and I remember this experience of um being with the medicine and coming you know coming into the psychedelic experience and being like oh finally I'm sober for the first time in my life I'm sober (laughs) there was this experience of clarity that I'd never had that I felt Uh like I was not tripping for the first time ever, um, which is quite funny. I was 21, I think, and it was this really almost the way I imagine if you did a month of silent meditation, you'd, you'd have that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, you know, the times that I have been in uh, South America and ha- experienced the ayahuasca medicine, you're contacting my shame and my pain and my mm-hmm. sorrow and my grief and my wounding in a way that um, I definitely didn't with the washuma. So, yeah, I, li- I like that, the way you've explained that definitely accords with my experience and and, Mm. you know as we said before like I think those plants for me um, have been really big ways of allowing or or practicing that kind of uh, perception and flexing the muscle or the as Jackie Bushell Mm. said in a previous episode not talking about psychedelics but talking about listening with your bones and I feel like that's where I've learned how to do that and in those working with those more spirit teacher plants, I have been shown or learned on how to practice listening with my bones so that I can sit in the garden with, you know, a more humble, you know, with motherwort or with chamomile or with the gum tree. And I can lean into that remembered feeling, open those doors of perception and, and feel that sacredness that is there anyway. Yeah, mm, Definitely. Yeah, and one of the beauties as well with the ayahuasca, like you say, that <clears throat> it was opening you up to all of these ways, all of these feelings, you know, and, and that can be uncomfortable, you know, finding these 
the, the hidden shame, you know, because sometimes we we tuck things away inside ourselves because we, we're not given the skills of how to deal with guilt or shame or anger or a lot of the, mm. the more difficult to process emotions. We're not being taught in school and often not being taught by our, our parents, our peer groups. And so, um, yeah, I think we kind of like hide those things away inside ourselves and repress those things. And so the medicine of the ayahuasca can, can help to really shed some light. I always see it like a medicine's like a shot spotlight looking for all the little parts that you're trying to hide from yourself. And yeah, that could be really uncomfortable, you know, when we're, most of us are growing up in a world where numbing out is normalized, you know, we're being taught, Oh, you're having some pain, have a (laughs) painkiller instead of like inquiring into why you're having that pain and really doing some work to resolve that and, and feeling that pain, allowing that pain to be and, and yeah, working on um, seeing, you know, seeing where it's coming from and all of that. We're kind of not socially being demonstrated that so well. So um, yeah, so the, that, that, that plant's pretty astounding for that. Um, and that's why, again, it's got to be with the right facilitator that can help to um, provide a safe space for that exploration. I think the great tragedy there that you've reminded me of is that we can't selectively numb out. You know, like the the idea is that wouldn't it be great if we could just numb ourselves to our shame and our guilt and our grief and but still be open to the beauty and the joy and the bliss <laughs> of life and and we just can't, you know. Mm. And so when we are held in that right way with those plants or do anything that enables us to get really into contact with those unpleasant emotions, that's actually a gateway into more blissful, ecstatic, sacred experiences of being alive, you know. Mm. And I know after those experiences and some some experiences I've had with that plant have been horrifically awful and uncomfortable and mm-hmm. so painful because I'm looking at all these things that, I've really tried hard not to look at. <laughs> but then afterwards, I'm so much more in touch with myself that I can feel the bliss and the joy that's there as well all the time. Mm. Yeah, well, what you resist persists. Or as, as I heard someone say to me once, you know, the more energy you give into pushing something away is the, the power you're giving it to push back. So when mm. you're... Um, you know, when you're denying these things that they can just build up and build up and build up. So when people just get home at the end of the day and instead of decompressing and integrating and like feeling, they're going, oh, I'm just going to flick on Netflix and, you know, have something to numb out, um, you know, have to have alcohol or whatever they're having to just kind of escape what they're feeling. It's all building up somewhere. And so, you know, that's a breeding ground for a lot of, you know, depression, anxiety, social disconnect and things Mm -hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, but again, that it's it's hard to hard for people to find a way if they're not being they're not being shown. It's not being demonstrated in our society how to work with these hard, harder I, emotions. I would argue that throughout them. history, yeah, I, I would argue actually that throughout history, the way that humans have humans have evolved having these experiences with these sacred teacher plants these psychedelic entheogens and that is how we are shown and reminded mm. how to be in touch with these deeper more difficult and more beautiful aspects of aliveness you know I don't I don't think it's so much a problem that somehow our society doesn't know how to do that I think that those plants are a way that w- mm. humans have always done that and I'm so excited by the fact that they are seeming to be gaining some um, permission again in the world and some legitimacy to help us recontact our sacred aliveness mm. and yeah, my beautiful. fear is that it's being taken into a really clinical and mechanistic it, it's ta- yeah almost like trying to be taken into this world view of of physiological mechanistic isolated beings mm. <laughs> um and that that's the very thing that those medicines exist to disillusion us from and so you know you've mentioned a few times the importance of working with these kinds of teacher plants in really good well-held containers by people who are trained to this and have dedicated their lives to this um and you know, also like that there's a framework of, of kind of when, we, when we're held in that way with someone who knows what they're doing, then there is a framework and a language that we can help to integrate those experiences that we've had mm-hmm. in, in a healthy and useful way where they keep giving us gifts rather than just 
further disconnect us from ourselves. We don't know how to make sense of them in our lives. And I have a fear that the way that psychedelics are being brought back into our culture is really missing that um, sacred context and that ritual container. So, yeah, my prayer in this conversation, Mm. you know, my prayer is that those plants somehow find their way into our culture in that in that way in that ritual sacred way Mm -hmm. yeah I believe that will happen definitely and I I think that just where we're at it's a stepping stone just in society in the the kind of the um the health industry and the the science world just um first validating and accepting that there are um, a lot of these, you know, psilocybin and MDMA, for example, um, even though MDMA is a syn- synthetic um, substance, but that um, we can use these uh, perception altering um, medicines to to be able to rewire we rewire our minds and even if that's all they're focusing on initially then it's still normalizing um, these medicines so that we can then bring weave back in the sacred and and reconnect and bring bring that in so I think it's all just a stepping stone and it's it's science's nature to want to isolate to want to isolate to understand things and <clears throat> But then, yeah, I think we'll find our way. So I'm hearing your prayer and I'm amplifying it. And, yeah, I truly believe that it will, you know, things will change. Um, yeah, just especially when I've seen how much it's it's helped other people. So, yeah, it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for that confidence. Um, I'd like to, you know, I'm sure we could we could talk about these, uh, you know, master teacher plants for hours probably and just touch the iceberg. But I'd love to bring us back for a final question around herbal medicine. So um, I know you're a herbalist and you grow plants and you teach herbal medicine and you work a lot with the, shall we say, mundane healing plants of the world, motherwort and chamomile, etc. These beautiful little sister plants, I think of them. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm curious how working with these little sister plants, these more mundane herbal medicines, how they actually support you in a more subtle way to stay in contact with the sacred and to bring the sacred into your life. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> it's interesting because, you know, when although I've had these profound experiences with uh, with uh, these these teacher plants that we've just spoken about, um, when I've actually met the plants themselves. Um, because they've been such fleeting connections, I haven't actually felt this deep bond with the plant, even though I've met the plant and gone, oh, wow, you're the ayahuasca vine and, uh, you know, you've changed my life, but yet you're just this um, very humble looking plant um, that I don't have a connection to the plant. And so I find that, I found that really interesting in the past, but yet when I walk through my yard and when I'm walking past all of the wild got a cola and the, you know, the chickweed and um, the motherwort and just, you know, the clovers and everything that's just growing wild and just everywhere throughout the garden. It's like that I, I, because I'm around those plants every single day uh, and they're, you know, classic herbal medicine plants, or maybe one might say mundane, you know, it's the word that you use. They're the kind of, you know, the day-to-day plants that are used for health, um, for physical health, but my connection with those plants is so deep because I actually have a day-to-day connection with Mm -hmm. them. And when I actually take the time to stop and sit with them, um, it's just, it's really quite profound, you know, especially if I am a bit, obviously being a podcast presenter and a bit, you know, owning a business and, and um, founding a non-for-profit and all of that, I'm, I'm finding myself in front of the computer a lot on my phone you know my pen and paper and just really like in this kind of world um that seems so far removed from nature and so if I find myself just getting a bit coiled up in that or a bit kind of feeling square-eyed and just disconnected then just to go and just to sit with the clover and to just feel the clover and to talk to the clover and you know and say thank you thank you for your medicine thank you for what you bring to my life and just open myself up to the smelling and tasting and just being, being with and talking to and having a communion with it just um, drops me in, drops me in so much with them. And <clears throat> yeah, I really feel for the, the herbalists and the naturopaths, you know, the, the, the natural medicine practitioners, I have a lot of them come along to my workshops and I feel for the ones that have been, that have come through the university system and, they've come out the other end able to um, 
dispense calendula but never having met calendula never having felt the stickiness of the resin on the flower and smell that resin and like and see bees buzzing around it and you know actually tasted the strange iodine filled leaves and like have I don't know have like an actual connection to the plant and they're they're amazing practitioners very um proficient in what they're doing and having you know clinical success but not having that connection to the plants and so yeah that connection although they're mundane feels deeply deeply sacred the more that I honor them and you know doing small practices like um putting put you know cutting the calendula flowers and putting that on my altar um and really like honoring honoring that plant and really saying like you're you're not just my sister plant in the garden like you're you're a deeply powerful being that's helping a lot of people and thank you for that bringing the reverence into the um relationship really um keeps me keeps me connected to the sacredness of those seemingly mundane plants that that I'm working with in my daily life mm. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, thanks, Twiggy. I'm really hearing then, you know, a theme that just comes up in every single episode on this podcast, which I think is really telling, that importance of approaching those plants with gratitude and reverence is actually what creates that sacred experience and that sacred relationship, you know, almost like our own inner um the way we orient towards those plants is what creates that that sacredness or allows us to open the door in our own heart to that sacredness. Mm. Thanks so much. Um, it's such a pleasure to have this chat with you. And I just love, um, there's so many things you said that sparked like deeper understandings in me uh, about this topic that's actually really hard to articulate and very nebulous. It's always such a pleasure to co-create um, a deeper understanding of what it is to be in sacred relationship with plants and how plants can help us be in sacred relationship with life with you. Thanks, Twiggy. Thank you so much for having me on here today, Steph, with all of our technical difficulties and all, we still managed to uncover some pretty exciting things. It's given me a lot to think about and um, I've really enjoyed hearing you, hearing you kind of reaffirm back to me what I've said and then, and then adding extra pieces in it. It's given me kind of a deeper understanding and I've really appreciated this opportunity for reflection and I look forward to more ongoing conversations about this really deep topic and uh, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it and hopefully it's sparked some, some insight and um, inspiration in other people as well. So, yeah, thanks for having me and thank you for all your beautiful work with this segment of the podcast as well. It's really um, quite an honour to work alongside you and I love your way. So, yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks, Twiggy. Yeah, such a pleasure and such a, you know, right back at you. Such an honour to walk, work, work and walk alongside you on the plant path. Well, that was a beautifully juicy conversation with uh, Elder Tree founder Tatiana Dawn. If you want to hear more of her work and to participate in any of her beautiful uh, workshops and offerings around connecting deeply with plants and medicines, then I recommend that you jump onto Facebook and follow her on both the Elder Tree and Alcamilla Herbals. That's us for this moon cycle. I'm so glad you walked into the dark forest with me. This podcast is part of The Elder Tree, a non-profit dedicated to empowering people through grassroots herbal education, weaving a strong community of herbalists, healers and plant folk in Australia. You can head over to theeldertree.org to find out more. If you like this episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month, and in the meantime, may you be blessed with good health and many plants. <laughs>